This is going to be our last day in the book of Hebrews 1. It's such a magnificent passage of praise to Jesus Christ that I want us to hear it again in its entirety one more time in anticipation of coming here to his table. Because the one described here is the one who will remember his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf shortly. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we read, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn unto the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail." But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And we have spent a number of weeks kind of deconstructing this text to see how it is exactly that Christ is portrayed as superior to the angels, and it's magnificent praise to him. And I, I, I trust that even the reading and the hearing of it is preparing our hearts to come and do personal work with him in just a few minutes. But in verse 9, that's where I'd like to focus today as our last time in this chapter. In verse 9, at the last part of the verse, we read, Therefore God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I said I wasn't going to speak about a winning professional team. I lied a little. The Vikings will be playing a little bit. They're undefeated. And I understand they've got some records, actually, that they could break with this next game. It's been quite an interesting season for them so far, having lost... Uh, Bridgewater, who everybody was hopeful about, and Peterson, and here this Bradford guy comes in at the last minute, and we're like, wow, this is something nobody was expecting. So as people now are analyzing this team and what's going to happen in this game, 
there's three major areas they break a team down into, right? And, and how they performed. You got offense, you got defense, you got special teams. But they need to play well in each one of those areas. And then we celebrate if there's anybody who is a standout in one of those areas. Well, this statement, therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, is a quote from Psalm 45. It's a reference to the king as he is anointed. But what I would like to point out is within this, within this chapter, we have references to Christ bearing three different offices, if you will, playing on three different parts of the same team. Offense, defense, special teams, he plays them all. And here's what I mean by this. If we go back to the beginning, we read, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And the Lord Jesus Christ is set forth in his role as a prophet. But his role as a prophet superior to all the other prophets. When he's playing on the prophet teams, he's going to be the MVP of the prophet team. He's going to be the standout player of the prophets. Do you know that in, in Exodus, uh, no, excuse me, in 1 Kings, I want to go, we'll be in Exodus. We're not going to read them. We don't have time because we're trying to get to the table. But in 1 Kings 19.16, we saw how the prophets came into an office because Elijah was required by the Lord to anoint Elisha to be his successor. So these prophets were brought into office by anointing. And then the writer goes on, and after referencing him as a prophet, we have him, for which of the angels, he says in verse 5, of the angels, did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Then he points out that the angels are servants. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And here is where he references him, him as a king. And this is the passage, as we're in verses 8 and 9, that is, the king is referenced from Psalm 45. Interesting. When it comes to being a king. He's the MVP of the king team. Of all the kings that Israel ever had, this is the outstanding, this is the unique, this is the one who is above all else. And then we also can take note that in verse 3, if we back up just a little bit, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins... How is it the purging of sins takes place? It was by the offering of his blood. And we will find out that in this context, he is being referenced in his role as the priest. Interesting, isn't it? He is prophet, priest, and king. And he is the outstanding player in all three of these teams. There are other prophets, but he stands out. There are other priests, 
but Christ stands out. There are other kings, but Christ stands out. And the other thing I find interesting as we look at this, because our our text that we want to focus in on is, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You know, for becoming a prophet, for becoming a priest, for becoming a king. They were anointed into those positions. Elisha, 1 Kings, we've mentioned that. Aaron in Exodus 29, 7, 30, 30. We find Aaron, the first of the high priests, and then his whole team of, that was in 29, 7, and in Exodus 30, 30, his whole team of priests behind him. They were placed into office by this anointing. And then David in 1 Samuel 16, 13, a passage which with you're familiar if you, if you study your Bible at all where Samuel is sent to anoint young David. Now, David actually gets anointed three times before he takes up the mantle of leadership. But the first anointing is in the presence of his father and his brothers. You remember the passage where God said, don't look on his outward appearance, I look on the heart. And that's why I'm selecting this one to be my king, to replace Saul. But the point being, to be a prophet, to be a priest, to be a king, you entered your office via anointing the anointing of oil that was poured over them. And it was in this process, as God had commanded it, that effectively installs and empowers and sets apart those who are being anointed for the office in which they'll be in. But there is not an overlap. The king is not the priest. The king is not the prophet. In fact, the king can't be the prophet. If you're studying with us on Wednesday night, you know that would be a disaster. The prophet speaks into the ear of the king and calls him out, holds him accountable. Three different offices. Each one was unique and had its own role. The prophets received and spoke the word of God. The kings ruled the nation. The priests went into the, went into the tabernacle went into the temple later when it was constructed. They made the offering of blood for the Day of Atonement so that God would meet with them there and cover cover the sin of the people for yet another year. Three different offices held by three different people, but Jesus Christ alone held all three and was anointed into all three. And when it says here that, that, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, I believe the ultimate fulfillment of that is not only that he was anointed as a king, but he was anointed as prophet and priest also. Which may cause us to ask one little question. Is that, well, what is this anointing about? How do we understand it? Why is that statement significant? And if we were to back up, I, I think what I'd like to do is kind of back end, reverse engineer this thing. See if we can get one thought, because we're not trying to do a lengthy study on anointing. We know what, we will get both a sense of what it is, and then I think we'll get a sense of why it's significant. In Psalm 133, Psalm 133 is one of the shortest psalms in Scripture. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it is a good thing. It's a rich and blessed thing. That's one of the things I heard it mentioned at least twice yesterday about the women as they were working together within the confines of the Acts Committee is how much they enjoyed working with each other. 
There was no catfighting. There was no drama. They just worked together as one. And, it, and twice I heard it referenced how beautiful that was. It's like, now notice this, it's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. A picture of him being anointed into the role of the high priest. And the oil was poured on him. And it drained down on him. And in that process, the identification that he is the high priest, that he has this holy calling, that he has this authority, that God has put him in this place, that his life is now to be separated out to the things of God. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. But when we take these three different verses, what we find is, and this is why I'm, it's really about unity. But in order to describe how wonderful unity is, we're given a description of the, how great unity is. Unity is as great as when Aaron was anointed. And that oil flowed down upon him and, and the, uh, and the essence of it. Everybody could smell in the area and there was something magnificent and good that was happening. We need to think of it in the other way. Rather than, rather than the oil defining how great unity is, we need, to, if we don't understand the oil, we need to understand, hey, it's great as the unity that we just watched happening here yesterday. We get a sense that it is something very, very good. And in Christ's case, it was something experienced beyond what anybody else had experienced. Because each of these offices required an anointing. And as he was anointed into them, each of them, he proved to be the greatest of the prophets, the greatest of the priests, the greatest of the kings in his magnificent role. And in his role as priest, he made an offering for sin. He made an offering for our sin. Hebrew says... When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we'll come to understand, as we look at the book of Hebrews more, how significant it is that he made the offering and he sat down. We'll grasp that in its further understanding as we move forward. But what I'm hoping we're doing this morning, as we have looked at this chapter for weeks now, one chapter. We've spent weeks on it. We've tried to dissect it. Because throughout the chapter, the author is doing one thing. He is lifting up Jesus Christ to be superior, supreme, above all others, above the angelic realm, but also within the human realm as he takes on the role of prophet, priest, and king. He is the most significant of any prophet, any priest, any king that has ever will ever walk the face of this earth. And so our view of Christ, if we understand this passage, our view of Christ must be exalted. He is magnificent. As we said last week, He is beautiful. We must see that. And with that understanding, recognize in His role as priest... He set all of that magnificence aside, Philippians tells us. He took upon himself the form, the form of a servant. Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This very one in all of his magnificence. Anointed 
with, with the oil of gladness above all of his companions, the one who we should proclaim the grandeur of who he is, set it all aside in order to become that perfect sacrifice on Calvary's cross for us. The only remedy to sin that Scripture provides. And in the viciousness of that death that was foisted upon him, his beauty only grows, only magnifies, only intensifies. That the one, the one, anointed by God with the oil of gladness more than his companions, is that very one who died in my place.